What I usually end up doing during the Green Sundays is preaching on all three of the readings, and that's what I'm going to do. But I want to say something by way of a commercial message, as I do from time to time, for the Revised Common Lectionary. Over the last four or five years, we've used it at St. Luke's Church. I think it's now, after the last general convention, the official lectionary uh, of the Episcopal Church. And um, so it... It, it is, uh, I think, something of an improvement by and large, and perhaps the most important area uh, where it is has to do with hearing voices that we didn't hear with as much regularity or frequency in the former lectionaries that we do now, women, uh, people on the margins, stories that uh, were somewhat obscure. If you read morning and evening prayer all the time, like the clergy are, are uh, obliged to do, you would probably read these readings uh, to s somewhat, but uh, you wouldn't run into them in the Sunday lectionary. So that is a, a good thing. Just so you know this, Episcopalians get accused of sitting lightly on the biblical witness. If you came to church every Sunday and listened to the readings that are read at the Eucharist, and if you read morning and evening prayer every day, you would read in the year about 80 to 85 percent of the Bible. Well, what was left out? Well, uh, <laughs> chronicles, not too much of that, kind of a rehash of first and second thing. You don't, we, we don't have a lot of the begats and the genealogies. Those are really not included uh, in, in the readings. But by and large, you read a lot of the Bible. And the Book of Common Prayer is uh, mostly the Bible. So uh, we're biblical people. There's no question about that. But uh, remember my teacher, O.C. Edwards, it isn't important what the Bible says as much as it is what the Bible means. And so you and I are engaged in a lifelong process to make sense uh, out of this biblical witness. Don't ask me what's gotten a hold of me, but I just read again yesterday, because it was in part of some email stuff that had been sent to me, a, a copy of the Chicago uh, Statement in 1978 on biblical inerrancy. And I thought it was a hoot, to be honest with you. But very interesting if you want to find out about uh, what a certain species of Christian believes about the Bible in the United States today. We read from uh, Genesis today the story of Rebecca, who isn't uh, in uh, the former lectionaries. Uh, and this is a long story about Rebecca, who's going to become Isaac's wife. And uh, it's about... Um, how she heeds the call. I, I, I want to caution that when I talk about this, it would be wrong. You know, every age has the tendency to look down the well and to see their own image. So this isn't about Rebecca, feminist heroine. Okay? <laughs> but, it, but it is about Rebecca, who is somebody who is going to have a role to play in God's plan for the cosmos. And she's going to become one of the great matriarchs. And she listens to the call. One biblical scholar that I read this week said she becomes the essential link in the transmission of the divine promise of God. Because she said, will you go with this man? I will do it. She said, I will do it. 
and she goes, did you notice that she got a ring in her nose? Yeah. Well, we should just fast forward to 2011. <laughs> on her nose. A ring on her nose. Right, yeah. I, I don't know whether it was the side ring here or this ring here like this. You know, it, it's, it's always hard to know what that was, but there was ring, a ring in the nose. Yeah, that's right. Although I hate this is sort of a rude story. My grandfather was no friend of Franklin Roosevelt. And I remember when I was a little boy, well, it wasn't a little, I was 16. I'd gotten my driver's license, and I was driving him home from the store. And we were driving down, and I can't remember what prompted him to do this, but he said, um, Moses said, saddle up your asses and camels and go into the promised land. Roosevelt said, sit on your ass and light up a camel. We're in the pond. <laughs> yeah. So, I, do you sense a point of view coming through? <laughs> Not one that I shared with him, but he had it for sure. Uh, no, no, no doubt about it. But Rebecca's an example of somebody who... Uh, says, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to um, go. It's a venture of faith. And so we're going to begin to see that, and we'll read about some of the other matriarchs, like Rachel, and some of them as we move forward now. And so in this green season, look for, look, uh, for, that, kind of, for that kind of thing. Uh, important to be introduced uh, to Rebecca. Isaac will be her husband, and he is the son of Sarah and Abraham. So now we're going to see how things uh, unfold moving forward. In Romans today, we have Paul speaking perhaps one of the classic uh, statements of the human condition. The thing I want to do, I don't do, and, so, and the thing I don't want to do, I do. That's the, you know, there it is. And he's trying to reason this through and wonder what the, the cause of this is because he knows that part of uh, being a healthy person uh, is, is some, just to practice some species of self-regulation. You know, successful people, uh, people in leadership, one of the things that they, they know how to do is to ha uh, engage in self-regulation of instinctual drives, for example. We all have to learn how to do that, and uh, it's not easy. But Paul is speaking about a condition that he feels from time to time that is called, in some circles, powerlessness, that he knows that he's just simply not able to do it. But there's a number of things in this reading that are important. If the Green Sundays have something to do with you know, the teaching about uh, the spiritual life, how God's uh, love for us, how God's spirit, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us, uh, gives us some sort of forward movement and it impacts our spiritual, emotional, and mental states. Um, Paul talks today about the flesh and the spirit. And uh, he sort of puts them this way, as poles. But you'd be mistaken if you believe that what Paul speaks of when he speaks critically and negatively of the flesh 
that he is speaking of the material world or our body. The flesh for Paul is the whole of the human person, including the intellect, including the emotions, including the spirit that is predisposed to turn away from God and in on itself. Did I tell this, uh, the 9 o'clock last week, I saw a guy walking, or New Yorker cartoon, of a guy walking down the street in Manhattan with a t-shirt on that said, I'm with me. Sort of characteristic of the age. And that's what Paul means by the flesh, the predisposition uh, to place ourselves at the center, a kind of narcissistic preoccupation uh, with uh, who we are and what we ought to be doing and so forth. So he's speaking today about uh, how, we, uh, how this gets overcome. And uh, I would disagree with him slightly, and I believe that we need to be able to, in the right sense, um, ratify right behavior with the will. That the will is something that can assist us in that process, you know. And uh, so Paul is speaking about the absolute inability to do this. I'm not quite so sure that's true. He's speaking about the law here and all of his preoccupations. Um, but he certainly has hit the nail on the head if he has, uh, speaks about how difficult it is to do often the right thing or not to follow the flesh. But here's the other thing that he sort of skirts around. In the spiritual life, the classic spiritual life, there is something called scrupulosity, which is a sin in the old, you know. Scrupulosity is the overweening preoccupation with your shortcomings or the, or, or the, or the movement towards perfection that now becomes uh, uh, self-defeating, obsessive. And that is not what part of a healthy spiritual life is. The examined life is not a process of uh, navel-gazing and finding fault with uh, all the minute aspects of our behavior in our life, you know. It becomes very difficult then to be able to make any forward progress of any kind. And it seems that even if Paul is correct in how humans behave, somehow the Spirit of God can move us forward. You know, maybe hindsight's always twenty twenty, but sometimes the way you understand spiritual progress has something to do with looking back on your personal history and seeing if uh, perhaps now you handle things and handle relationships in a little bit more, more mature way than you did before. You know, maybe you're a little less scrupulous uh, than you were before. You know, that can also be scrupulous about, uh, less scrupulous about what kind of people you want to be around. You know, there's always that drive towards some sort of elite way of uh, speaking about others or thinking who it is you ought to be associated with or suffering fools, uh, not suffering fools gladly. You know, that's where the real challenges, challenges come in, you know. How much can you take in this regard? How much should you take? And I think that's a conversation you need to have on a daily basis. 
Uh, well, I've told you about him before. Bob Switzer was a parishioner of mine at, at uh, Christchurch Sausalito, and at one time he was the youngest city manager in the United States. He managed Katati uh, when he was 28. And uh, he used to say to me when we were engaged in a lot of big decision-making, he and I and a couple of other people founded a nonprofit community development corporation in Sausalito when we were doing some stuff. And he said, David, you, you, you ought to every day say to yourself, do not prejudge the process. Do not prejudge the process. And I think that's true about human relationships and stuff. You know, sometimes snap judgments are not the best thing. So Paul is speaking about the agency by which one is able to learn how to do that, and he believes that's the mighty works of Jesus Christ. He's not particularly, you know, Paul is not as down on the law as a lot of people would like you to believe. He's not, he, he's not as critical of the law in one sense as people believe. But he believes that the result of his faith in Christ, that now is the secondary consideration. And that the big question that he was struggling with is, I'm part of the people of the covenant. I'm part of the people who are supposed to have arrived. But you know what? There are people who aren't part of the covenant and they want to be in on this. And this is how they get in. They get in through belief in Christ and the power of his mighty works. And they don't have to do anything else. So that's a pretty tough thing, isn't it? Particularly if you've spent your entire life uh, busy doing a whole lot of things. So it's grist for the mill, thinking about Paul. What is it that you do that you wish you wouldn't and you don't do what you wish you did? So is the question. The sins of omission is a, versus the, and the sins of commission. Today, Jesus is speaking about something uh, and we also have him characterized in his own words and also by Matthew as the heavenly wisdom. If you were to come up to one of the disciples when Jesus was uh, exercising his earthly ministry and you were to say to him, who, who, what is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What would you say? They would, one of the things they might say was he's a mashal. He's a teacher of wisdom. Sage. And so today there's something about this. And what we're learning here is it's another text about leadership. It's also about games. We played and danced and did all that. You know, there are kid games in the ancient Near East. When he was in Nazareth as a boy, there was the marriage game where everybody played and sang the marriage songs, little children in the street. They were playing the games and doing that. And then there was the funeral game where they played the funeral game and they were doing all this sort of stuff. Nobody was paying any attention. Jesus said, you know, you can play and do all that stuff and nobody pays any attention. John the Baptist comes. He's ascetic. He make your hair stand on end. Doesn't eat much. You know, locusts and wild honey. He's dressed funny. And people say, you know, this is a very strange guy. The son of man comes eating and drinking and they say he's a glutton and a drunkard. So you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Have any of you been in positions of leadership where that's happened to you? In one sense or another? You know? 
That's what this is about. And one of the things I think that comes into it is uh, learning something about wisdom. The wisdom that we think of is not always the unpacking of the great mysteries of life. Wisdom has something to do with the accumulated uh, experience in response to adversity. So that may mean that what you learn with regard to how you do that is something that you can teach people or speak to people about or commend to people. And in, in a great deal of what Jesus said in his sayings has something to do with that kind of wisdom. Today also, Matthew's gospel, uh, part of it, it sounds like John's gospel. There's a lot of I and me and you and you know, that sort of business. I heard a lecture once in seminary by a very prominent New Testament scholar who was visiting and he said, this text in Matthew's gospel is the Johannine thunderbolt in the Methian sky. <laughs> you may think, well, I don't know what that means. Never mind, I just wanted to say it. I said, absolutely cool. He's right, you know, one of those things. It sounds a lot like John's gospel. But um, wisdom is vindicated by it, her deeds. Wisdom is a feminine word. You know what it is in Greek? Sophia. So women named Sophia, it means wisdom. You forget that sometimes. There may be some people who have a struggle with, how can wisdom be feminine? Well, it is, you know. It's like, it's like when you ever taken a foreign language, I had to learn this a long time ago. I've never been just real good at them. But when you'd say you're learning these things and you say, well, how come it, why does it have that ending? And the teacher said, because it does. <laughs> it has that ending because it does. It's like walking up to North Beach and seeing in the window dentista. Or thinking, gee, they must have a lot of women dentists around here. No, dentist, dentist is a feminine word in Spanish and in Italian. So it says dentista. So you go in and it's Guillermo Fratelli, who's <laughs> the dentist, you know. So it just is, right? But the thing about it is, is that you and I are obliged, if, as we practice the spiritual life, to understand the importance of wisdom. And that we participate... Uh, in God's wisdom by virtue of uh, living a life of some intention. And that's an important thing. So this week, give thanks for the great matriarchs and for people who say, I will, and who begin to move forward even if they don't know the absolute outcome of what's going to happen. And oh, this remind, this is what, Catherine Bateson, who was Margaret Mead's daughter, you know who Margaret Mead was, the anthropologist? She wrote a book called Composing a Life. She was an academic, but her husband was also an academic, and she, they did a lot of traveling or going to new opportunities and jobs. And let's face it, most of the time, women are the ones who have to bring, go with the family when the husband moves to a new big career or something's going to happen, and they have to compose a life. They have to compose the life. So that's what she's writing about. How to do, how she did that. And what she did.
So, you know, Rebecca is going to have to go compose a life uh, with, with new people, new circumstances. And so that opportunity and, and that faithfulness on her part uh, is an important thing. And she will have a very positive and important role to play in the future uh, of the people of the covenant. Think about the things that you wish you would do and don't and the things that you don't do that you wish you would uh, this week. And where have you been successful uh, in being able to do that um, and give God the credit? And then work on the practical wisdom that all of you have. You know, we all know more stuff than we think we do. And you don't have to be a, a self-satisfied, smug person to, to believe that. But everyone in this room has something to commend to someone else that could help them uh, move forward in a positive direction. So think about those kinds of things and maybe what you have done in the past and certainly will do in the future. Amen.